0: What's up, guys? Mitch from Region.com back with another episode of the RMR podcast. Today, I'm joined by special guest Vince Ning, founder and CEO of Nabis Distribution. How you doing today, Vince?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me,
0: man. It's good awesome. to be back. Uh, no, I appreciate you, man. I've been knowing you for a couple of years now. Been been uh, been a little privy to to the evolution and growth of Nabis over there. I mean, you guys were. were Still pretty big early on when I when I came and first checked out the facility, but you guys have grown immensely over these last what two two, three years, would you say like the, the most growth, like the hockey stick part of the growth or
1: yeah, no, but I mean I still like to think we're just be just getting started because uh, you know, if you look at the whole market, it's it's sure. still got a long way to go. So, you know, while we're growing, the market's also growing. So we're playing catch up.
0: Absolutely. And we'll get into some other states down the line, but obviously you guys are operating in California right now, which is, you know, the largest market. And even though it's not the most mature in time, you know, I, I always call California the most mature, just in terms of branding and, and kind of the consumer. Um, but you guys are, you know, I'm looking, look at some of the stats on the website. You guys are what a hundred different brands are, are shipping products through Navis right now.
1: Well, yeah, a little over 150, I think we'll probably hit over 200 by end of year, but, okay. um, yeah, we're really proud to be supporting so many small, medium, large operators in the industry um, and allowing them to be able to build and their, their vision for how they want to create products for consumers.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And that's one of, you know, we'll, we'll also get into this a little bit later, but you know, distribution is one of the biggest issues in in this in this industry, especially the state that you guys are are operating in right now. But before I get into that, you know, I kind of kick every episode off. With people's origin story around the plant, the plant being cannabis. So whether that's personal or professional, I'm just kind of curious your your history with within cannabis.
1: Yeah, so I mean, Navis building this company has been certainly my first professional experience in the in the industry. Prior to this, um, you know, I just grew up smoking weed, and uh, grew up on the East Coast. And um, actually, the, the the person I started this company with is actually my best friend. From home, um, and uh, we bonded over uh, a couple of joints from here, 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 and there. When we went to college. Um, you know, I, I definitely had my fair share of time being a pothead, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, from there, I jumped into the tech industry. Um, so almost, you know, I, I guess like if you if you look back in time, the proportion of time I've spent in the cannabis industry versus the tech industry now is actually far larger um weigh, hev- more heavily weighed towards cannabis now even though in my mind i sometimes feel like i'm still a techie but um you know i think uh i guess i guess uh the the, the history shows i'm i'm more of a cannabis guy now
0: <laughs> absolutely but you know you in, in cannabis you guys do have a software component to navis right it is more a little bit more than just distribution putting trucks trucks on the ground you guys have the, the marketplace and, and and the software back there so when yeah. you first first thought about getting into the space, like at the conception of Navis was distribution and software, were those ideas kind of hand in hand? Or did one come before the other in your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, in my mind, when we thought about the vision of the company, we certainly thought we were going to have components of each. Um, But you know, when push came to shove, when we got into the industry, you know, we first put our entrepreneur hat on and thought about what problems could we solve for people in the industry today. And at that time, you know, people, people, you know, obviously wanted the software and thought that it was a really cool, nice to have. But at the end of the day, people just really needed to ship their products from point A to point B Um, because without that, their sales couldn't be made. So, you know, and and at the time, I think a lot of the brands at that point hadn't been, you know, pushing huge volumes, Mm -hmm. so there didn't need to be a crazy amount of automation at that time. Um, Now, fast forward four years in California today in the rec market um, you know, we wouldn't be able to run our business the way we do today without any technology. So, um, over the course of, you know, the past few years, it's become a necessity.
0: Absolutely. And and your guys' growth has been quite incredible. I think I first, I first came by the facility, I think like 2018, the the first, the original, uh, I think, I don't know if it was the original, but original to, to my knowledge in Oakland over there near the airport, Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of saw that and then I came back a couple of years later, saw you guys knock some walls down, kind of, uh, uh, you know, took over the entire suite. And then I got a little sneak preview of where where you guys are at now with uh, with headquarters, I believe, in in the larger Oakland, kind of still near the airport. But uh, yeah little bit different area. So what's, what's that growth been like? And, and I know every, t- every single time I've physically been by there, you're like, dude, there's just not enough space. There's not, <laughs> <enough> space.
1: <laughs> that's but always you, the case.
0: You still feel like that's the, the the case right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you came by not too long ago. Right. And, um, you know, we have pallet racks, uh, lining the walls, like every square feet, except for like a back corner where we do all our packing for orders. that are going out the next day. Um, but yeah, I mean that, I guess, you know, we launched that warehouse, um, you know, beginning of 2021. So it's been about a year and it's just filled up so fast. Um, so now we're actually building out a new 86,000 square feet facility in central California. So that's going to be, we're calling it the Napa super center, um, taking after the Walmart super centers, but it'll be about four times the size of any of our warehouses before. Um, so it'll be, uh, It'll be it'll be a spectacle. Uh, so we're gonna move most of our inventory there, and um, you know we'll be basically drop shipping through the rest of our facilities. So we don't need to store so much inventory on hand for as long. It'll just be like a layover in each mm-hmm. of the terminal nodes um, for for each of the regional nodes rather.
0: So at that point, you'll have NorCal, so- SoCal, and then you'll have Central California as well. Exactly okay and then you guys have plans to kind of continue to expand another another, more hubs in the state of california you feel like those three regions kind of have it at least for now
1: i think for now yeah um we're thinking maybe san diego it's becoming i mean it's always been a big market but it's just constantly growing um and um you know i think that from a regional standpoint that might be where we uh might want to set up our next hub but If we don't, um, you know, I think as far as continuing to service more and more of the market here in California today, we uh, basically list and ship roughly around 15% of the market. Um, There's obviously still 85% of the market that needs to be serviced. And so um, a lot of them are self-distributing and, you know, we want to help them be able to list on our marketplace, transact, manage their payments. And over time, we're going to need more space wherever it is. And so we're thinking we'll probably just build out uh, more expansion um, square footage in uh, in Central California since you know land is cheaper, mm-hmm. uh, real estate's cheaper, uh, etc. Um, so that's where we're generally thinking about putting in more more space uh, if we had to.
0: Yeah, and I mean obviously you know one of your guys' big value proposition of being able to handle that. I mean there, there's a software aspect, but just speaking in terms of distribution. Um, You know it's such a difficult thing in in any of the markets you know i I live in washington i obviously work a lot in california but distribution is an issue in in this industry there's so many different parts of this industry that are fragmented but when you look at the state of california just the sheer geography of it it is such a large state when you initially set out to be like all right we're going to have a distribution company in the cannabis space do you feel like I don't know just the the vision has grown along with like the understanding of just how big this industry and how big the state is or did you kind of anticipate from the start like this is going to be a mountain and we're going to conquer this
1: yeah i mean i think um we've sort of grown up with the rest of the industry here so at the time you know we only saw it being so large and then as the industry kept growing more and op- more operators started coming in space more consumer demand pulled more production out from the supply side, you know, and obviously made our made 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 our challenges a lot greater too. Um, And so, you know, I I guess uh, I've been kept busy for the past couple of years. And I think there'll be a lot more growth too for this market, um, both in California and across the nation. So, you know, what we're doing today, we really want to continue to maintain a platform that is um, sort of even keeled, unbiased, like I guess agnostic, if you will, mm-hmm. where you know we ser- we can serve as many operators as possible um, without uh, you know sort of creating conflicts of interest amongst the um, the brands we serve and the retailers we serve on uh, on the marketplace side.
0: And then you know one of my questions I had, like, because you guys are in just about every uh, product that you guys carry is in just about every retailer in the state of California. But yep. there's obviously quite a bit of brands. So when it comes to like the ideal retail partner, I mean, it's clearly the answer to that is everybody. <laughs> if you look at the numbers, but yeah. what is kind of the ideal partner on the brand side to to work with Navis?
1: Yeah, I mean, the ideal brand partner, um, you know, I think it's someone who, uh, I mean, it, it can be brands of all shapes and sizes. You know, our portfolio consists of. If you're looking at like categories, we do everything um, from flower products, vapes, concentrates, edibles um, and a good chunk of beverages as well. Um, but, you know, I think from like a philosophical standpoint, you know, brands really w- w- what we like to see is when brands like to take control of their own messaging, their own marketing, um, tell their own story to their own customers uh, and really not try and really try to make an effort um, to sell their products. Um, And for us, you know, we'll help support along the way, whether it be order management or, you know, helping them with financing or helping them uh, get exposure to the market, even um, from a marketing standpoint, Um, we'll do all of that. But ultimately, you know, we know what we don't do best is tell someone else's story for them. Um, So that's that's the part we really would like to pass back to the brand and, you know, hopefully that they're they're aligned on that one, which they should be because it's their own company and their own products they're making.
0: Absolutely. In this space, there's so many hats that, uh, you know, from a brand perspective, hats that you need to wear from sales to marketing to just product development to to, to distribution. It's nice to be able to offload that to a trusted partner. Again, considering how difficult that is in the state of California, Um, again, just size wise, you know, there's there's a lot of brands that you see become regional, not necessarily, I think, by their goal, but just simply it's too big. You know, the state's too big for them to accurately handle by themselves. And I mean, right. you see brands of, you know, whether they're large or big, right, that's you need to add so much more infrastructure and staff to be able to support that it's nice to be able to lean on, on companies like yourself. And so when it comes to smaller brands or larger brands, do you feel like both of them can still lean on you guys the same way? Or do you feel like there's kind of an advantage for for bigger brands to work with you or just mm. similar across the board?
1: It's a good question. Um, you know, larger brands definitely do have an advantage. But I think they sort of allow the smaller brands to exist as well, um, on our platform. So, you know, while obviously a larger brand already has customer loyalty, it has its place in the market. Otherwise it wouldn't have been large in the first place. Um, yeah, they're already, they're super well resourced. They, um, you know, generally can get into doors pretty easily, but there's still areas we can help them, um, to get into a lot of different regions of the, of the state as well, that they might not have been selling into. Um, and then for a smaller brand, I think, you know, while it might seem to be that some of the larger brands take up more of the volume and and sort of mind space on our platform. um, At the end of the day, the the smaller brands wouldn't get wouldn't be able to get the same rates that they do. um, If it weren't for some of the larger brands who Mm. help establish these like larger uh, delivery routes. Um, And so the smaller brands get to piggyback on some of these routes that Otherwise they'd be paying out the ass for. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's sort of a symbiotic relation to just ultimately for any brand to be part of a larger portfolio. Um, but as long as like their, their, their story, their product story and vision doesn't get diluted by that. I think it makes a lot of sense from a cost perspective.
0: Mm, No, that makes, that makes complete sense. And then for you guys, what is kind of the ideal process for, working with brands on inventory in terms of what they keep on hand at their manufacturing facilities and what you guys keep on hand in, in your facilities?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we try to, I mean, we, we see all ranging across the board, obviously it's cheaper to produce a lot more, but then you know, cannabis canvas still has a finite shelf life. So, you know, what we try to do is anywhere from 30 to 45 days is what we like to keep on hand in our facilities um and it's based upon uh historical sales volumes and turnover rates uh or uh, like sell-through rates for um for brands on our platform um and so that that that's typically what we like to to manage uh, at a time
0: was that something you guys work with on that data is them even helping conceptualize like okay this is what you guys are moving on a 30 or 40 day like this 45 day scale or you feel like that's something yeah. that they kind of bring to the table to you guys
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we 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 work at it from all angles and we try to evaluate it from from different uh, from different data sets. So, you know, we obviously have our own data um, and we try to inform brands, but brands generally know how much they're going to be able to sell. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they just have larger ambitions, uh, of course, you know, to their credit. And we want to obviously help them support It's help support them in that. But, you know, I think the unbiased lens is. Um, you know, we'll look at BDS data or headset data to just get a sense of what their historical sales are. Um, but the, I think the toughest uh, to evaluate is when they're first um, onboarding onto our platform because we, we don't have any of their historical sales information. And so we kind of have to like search around on the market for it or just, you know, take their word for it. Um, but, um, but yeah, generally that's a bit of a guesswork, but over time we start smoothing things out and get, get, the, uh, get the inventory on hand levels um, a lot more accurate.
0: Absolutely. And then for you guys, obviously distributing from the, the distribution centers to the stores is one part of the business, but you guys also, you guys also pick up product from the the cultivators and the manufacturers as well, correct?
1: Yep, exactly. We do. Yeah. So we, we, you know, on the way out when we go, go do the last mile deliveries to stores, we'll, um, you know, we'll pick up products, um, anywhere across the state as well for our suppliers. Um, and then we'll centralize it, um, check it into our warehouse system and then um, pick and pack and ship as soon as orders come in, um, booked against those units.
0: And then, you know, obviously it's being, cannabis is being cultivated and then there's, you know, manufacturing facilities all across the state. Where do you feel like you see the most, um, the most mass, or I guess, a volume of products being created as out, out in the desert? Is it in the LA? Is it up in NorCal? Is it really Mm -hmm. evenly spread across the board?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, you know, when we first started, it was definitely more NorCal, like Northern NorCal um, up in like Mendo or like Humboldt, you know, Arcata, that area. Um, but then as time sort of went on, I think it was around like 20, late 2019, like two years into the rec market, we started seeing a lot more indoor grow operations and greenhouse operations in Southern California. Um, and so you know, now I actually personally think there's a lot more cannabis activity that's been or maybe it's just been the growth rate of the cannabis activity in Southern California has been much stronger than Northern California's. Um, and, uh, you know, I see a lot of grow operations out in in the desert and in desert hot springs. I see, um, you know, some, a a lot out in like Santa Barbara or like San Luis Obispo close by the coasts, um, or the climate's also good. Um, but yeah, generally I started seeing them all over. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think there's still across the board, probably like, only sixty-five, or I don't think so, I don't, like close to seventy percent of municipalities have even legalized cannabis in mm-hmm. California. So there's, you know, about a third of the whole state's cities still don't have any cannabis activity. So that's where I think a lot of the big opportunity is, whether it be cultivation or, or even retail.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think a lot of people still don't understand that, whether they're in the state or out of the state of California, looking at it, is still understanding there's a lot of counties that are. Yeah. Opting out, whether it's cultivation, retail, or everything all together. I know there's a couple of delivery companies that thrive in some of those areas where there's mm-hmm. no retail. That mm-hmm. uh, they have that type of strategic advantage. And so, also something else I saw that you guys did recently is is rolled out the the marketing through your guys's platform through the marketplace. Yeah. Um, I know that's something that you guys have been working on for a while, but but just kind of released. Is that something you guys beta tested for a while, or or just rolled it all out at once?
1: Yeah, we kind of just rolled it all out at once. Um, you know, we sort of, uh, for our business, we always like to start off with like, we call it just MVP, you know, minimal viable product. And so about a year ago, we launched our marketplace platform and got a few of our um, best-selling brands who are really gun-ho about, um, you know, being able to have an online menu through Navis, um list there. And then over time, it's actually been, you know, a huge boon to our business. Um, a lot of brands find success with it. Um, you know, there's about 8,000 active SKUs um, mm-hmm. selling on the platform. Retailers love, this is where small brands also can benefit. Retailers love to just like purchase products that they know already, like the Raw gardens, of the world, like the buddies Ember valleys, but then on the site, while they're purchasing, they get recommended other products or they'll just like browse and see and scan the list of like the other hundreds of products out there. So, um, then they can, you know, try out, you know, little bits here and there of it. And because it's all bundled together, um, you know the smaller brands don't have to pay these larger minimum order delivery fees um, or service charges. Uh, they get to sort of piggyback on a larger order um, and still get that marketing exposure, uh, whether it be samples or just like a small case pack order to a retailer.
0: Absolutely, and there's you know there's very few in in the realm of marketing or or reaching just reaching an audience in this space. There's very few options, and when you have something that narrow, right? Who who? on the other end of your guys' platform, it's, it's buyers, right? It's directly speaking to retail buyers. There's very few places you can guarantee where hundred percent of the audience is going to be a retail buyer. Is it is it something that you guys are noticing too, where it's, uh, brands like, I know you said brands are getting exposure, but are you guys starting to notice that on the data where stores aren't necessarily carrying a brand and then they find it through that marketplace and then all of a sudden they pick that up as a regular on the shelf?
1: Yeah, no, we see that all the time. I mean, um, I think, uh, you know, when, when about two years ago, since Q1, even 2019, um, so it's been, I guess, like three years now, um, you know, the, the average number of brands that a retailer purchase on our platform, um, each order will only have one brand. Now, it's each order has two brands, but then every quarter, a retailer now purchases about four times more brands than they used to on our platform. Hmm. So. You know, they used to start with about uh, like 2.5 brands per quarter that they found on Navis. Now it's about 10.3 brands um, per quarter that they, that they purchased. So, you know, it's, it's definitely demonstrating that uh, the product discovery component is really strong. Um, and it's not like most other marketplaces where, um, you know, they don't have, they don't have the full control and management of that inventory. Um, you know, we have, uh, we have live inventory and that's, all that data is plugged into the marketplace. So as a retailer, you know, while you're purchasing raw garden, you can actually know that the other like this product actually exists and Navis mm-hmm, will guarantee you mm-hmm. the fulfillment of the product. And so it's this sort of end-to-end purchasing experience where you, you know, get to discover products, purchase them all together, receive them all together, and pay for it all together, um, rather than having to go to each supplier separately um, to manage all of that.
0: Yeah, and I I definitely know that there's an issue with a lot of other platforms (laughs) of not having a a live inventory um, of ordering stuff. It's not there having to switch out. And so that's definitely a big benefit. And then so what that looks like for you guys, like it's a tool for retailers, obviously, to to this, you know, to place orders and find uh, inventory to to plug uh, or find products to fill their inventory. But then on the brand side, they actually have a a link or a way to. clearly to send out this menu to people where people can just purchase straight through there?
1: Yep, exactly. So there's a couple ways to view things. I mean, first is just uh, if a retailer can just log on to the general marketplace and they can browse and search. Um, And then the other is, like you said, um, a brand can basically send out a link of just their own storefront um, on the Navis marketplace so that only their products are listed. Um, And then each rep can also have their own shareable like rep-specific link so that they get the cred um, and the commission for making that sale. So it's Mm. basically the cart, it's like their cart, essentially.
0: Okay, so it's similar, it's not affiliate marketing, but similar where it's trackable links. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love that, I know we were just, we were just happened to be talking a couple weeks ago, I was talking about the Washington market and I'll tell you out here, (laughs) it's not uncommon for, uh, you know, a Google sheet to be used and that to be sent oh, out to multiple people and then it's manually subtracted <laughs> from, from multiple salespeople. Oh, and it, That <laughs> issue of when it comes out, all the stores want their product. And then it's a fight over why well, I sold that. Yeah. Well, I sold it. Uh, yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. You know, yeah. who, who has the stronger relationship? And
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that was how California worked for like a good few years. And I think still a lot of businesses who self-distribute especially mm-hmm. will do that too. Um, but, you know, once your SKUs, for instance, like Buddies has like 500 different SKUs now. They launched with us in California with 58, I think. Now it's close to 500. There's no way that a Google Sheet is going to be able to support that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and when it comes to them, that vape cartridge or that concentrate category, right, where it's just yeah. all of those companies are constantly churning, you know, very some some maintain the same couple strains, but a lot of those it's, it's based on um you know the supply and demand of the raw materials to make what they're making and so yep. i could totally understand any any vape cartridge company it's from doing some marketing on the other side it's very difficult to be like okay you have this strain and like well we did last week i don't know if i'll yeah, ever have it again now. so yeah we're coming yep. up with something new
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: and so, I mean, that's just one. You know, that's one of the many instances of how fragmented this this marketplace is. Um, where do you where do you see you guys fitting in and kind of the ever expanding legalization uh, across the country?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've uh, you know always operated in California to date, um, mainly because we just felt like there was so much work left to do here. Um, but you know, we're definitely keeping an eye on other states, and we're always. Um, we're always keeping we're always like keeping up to date on just new regs that come out and new States that legalize. Um, and so, you know, for us, what we're looking at is really the East coast. Um, and, uh, we've been spending a lot of time over on the, like the, in the sort of like the up, upstate, um, like new England side of things, mm-hmm. uh, whether, you know, just general tri-state areas, so like New York, Connecticut, mass, um, New Jersey. There's a lot of like regulatory activity there um and you know we tend to think that the regulatory structure is pretty um it's pretty is pretty favorable towards uh you know our business model to be able to go and support that economy support their larger social equity missions and small business missions um and be able to really drive a lot of value for that economy so um we're keeping a close eye there um and uh you know but so far in the meantime, we're just gonna be uh, continuing to grow out in California.
0: Well, I think you guys will be positioned pretty well off of experience with, uh, you know, California you know, is the most competitive marketplace out there on, on a brand perspective, whether you're ancillary or brand, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. very, very competitive. And, you know, the, the size of like a Massachusetts, right? Compared to the state of California yeah. is, uh, is a night and day difference in terms of just the, the amount of area that you need to cover.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think, you know, given we have all of the infrastructure all the technology here um we're going to continue to try to put it to more use uh before you know, investing into a new state just yet and trying to a lot of it's just bandwidth as well um mm-hmm. you know we don't want to spread ourselves too thin and then you know lose grip of um you know our, our team here in california so we just want to be careful about that
0: what are some of the 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 challenges i guess beyond just the The geographic size of a state. But what are some of the challenges kind of surrounding distribution in this market?
1: Um you mean within California or, or?
0: I meant within this industry, but yeah, or yeah. specific to California either or.
1: oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think particularly to our sector and like distribution and wholesaling, you know we've sort of boiled down the problem into you know two major issues. And I think this goes beyond just cannabis as well. I think in wholesaling in general, it comes down to like, there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot of risk um, because the complexity comes because you know it's it's every order every deal is sort of like bargained on uh, negotiated um between buyer and seller um you know the quantities always change um and it's very bespoke um and the risk side is also because you know these aren't you know 50 bu- 50 orders you walk into a store as a consumer to buy these are like sometimes in $10,000 orders or like $100,000 orders, depending on who is buying. And, um, you know, they'll be extending, uh, credit terms and payment terms. And so you gotta be careful who you're doing business with. Otherwise, um, you know, you're gonna lose all that money, um, and give have given away that much in free product. So, you know, for us, we, we always try to boil our solutions down to, you know, those few problems. And today I think in California, those problems still largely exist. Um, Like you said, there's still a lot of offline order taking. Um, We're trying to bring more of that online. Um, And then with, uh, you know, credit risk and things like that, we're trying to use our data to really help our suppliers be able to evaluate who the best uh, customers are to work with and prioritize their orders that way. Um, And then beyond that, I think, you know, it's just helping the supply chain be more stable. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, us as an infrastructure as a service business, if we If we falter or stumble, it hurts everyone else along the way. So, you know, we, we, we always try to pay attention to the rules of the game too. Um, If regulations don't make sense for our, for our partners, it also doesn't make sense for us. Um, and lately there's been a big movement around, um, trying to lower tax rates, especially on the cultivation side, um, that I think is really, um, stifling the industry. So that's something that we're putting a lot of resources into to work with legislators to get down and, um, ultimately be able to help also just, uh, on the flip side, um, improve retail access points too, um, and help more municipalities be able to create legal, uh, rec cannabis frameworks for operators.
0: I love that. Yeah. It's, it's tough for the the consumer, right? That's a big, there's the big conversation where they're saying uh, to help curb the black market, bring this cost down for consumers. And there's not really many places you can carve out the cost as we described, you know, distribution is a task based on the size, real estate, you know, energy costs, you know, there's not really much you can do about that. So ultimately comes down to those taxes, but on the, on the, on the capital side, you know, um, I know that's something, you know, the financing, I know that's a, a service that you guys offer, um, what, what kind of birth that, or what was the inspiration of adding that to the, to the business?
1: Yeah, I think for that one, it's also, um, just because banking didn't exist. Um, and we knew we had all of the, and, and, and doesn't exist for like one regulatory reasons, but two also that a lot of even private lenders don't want to give decent rates to cannabis businesses because they don't know how to underwrite a loan mm. or like don't know how to evaluate, assess the credit risk of, a, of an asset, uh, or, you know, uh, like, a accounts receivable. And so for us, because we handle the, on the ground, the, all, all the dirty work of actually working with retailers to collect payments. Like we, we have firsthand knowledge of, um, uh, of, of credit worthiness. And so we have sort of this. Uh, informational asymmetry compared to the market um, that informs us and gives us better Intel into whether or not something is going to default or not. And so as a result of that, we wanted to help out our suppliers and, you know, putting our data against um, the decisions we made to provide liquidity to our suppliers. Um, That that's what, uh, you know, that's what birthed that idea. And, um, you know, a lot of suppliers were asking for, you know, something like that too. Um, So I think it's, it's been, it's been a good growth engine for a lot of them.
0: Yeah, I, I can totally see that. And it makes sense. Like on the outside looking in, you know, sometimes uh, I mean, I think we've talked about it before. So it makes sense to me. But initially, before I had first talked to you about that in the past, it was like distribution, wholesale, capital. How does that fit in there? But it makes yeah. sense when you're looking at the data. And I also understand that's another in, in the in regards to what you guys initially started this company for is to address pain points is that capital is a pain point you know and i think a lot of people also mistake like growing brands right like as a brand Mm -hmm. grows or a cultivator grows you know they're they're getting that money back on net 30 net 60 whatever whatever the terms are and sometimes not not getting that money back depending on who they're (laughs) working with but you have to consistently reinvest in either building out your facility or if Mm -hmm. you're like a you know concentrate company reinvest in bulk material and as you grow you're having to reinvest more money while you're waiting for money to come back so i mean that's kind of I guess, where you guys insert, right? The- exactly.
1: Exactly. Because, you know, a lot of these smaller brands, especially, they work on like a single line of working capital. So once they go put it into product, sell it, they're, wait- they're sitting on their hands for a few days, for like 30 days, only to just then get paid and then start producing again. By that time, products are already sold at retail. The shelves empty mm-hmm. and that's not the best way to create a brand when there's gaps in product availability for the consumer. Um, And so that was like the starting point. And then, you know, over time, it's like you said, it's, you know, access to capital is a big issue in the space. And, you know, it sort of points to a broader story as well around, um, you know, just seeing a lot of operators, some of my friends as well, who I started, um, you know, operating this industry with, um, who have lost control of their businesses to, you know, sharky creditors um, who, you know, if they make one false move, they regain they gain control of their business and like all of their equity and kick out the original entrepreneurs who started it with, you know, their blood, sweat and tears. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when we, when we built this business, I mean, we, we, again, we, we try to be agnostic. So we, we actually won't go through and take over a business if they don't pay us. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of suppliers see us as more of a benevolent creditor in that respect, um, in the sense that, you know, we just charge them a fair rate. And, um, you know, we're not here to run their business for
0: them. We're just mm-hmm. here to help. Not, not, not sharks in the water out here trying to eat everybody up. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I think it's interesting, too, because I remember, if I remember correctly, at the start of Nabis, you guys were much smaller, obviously much smaller scale, but you were physically out there doing a lot of the deliveries and pickups as well, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, those are some good old days. Uh, I wish I could still get out there and spend the time with our retail customers, but you know, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not always the worth the time these days, but sometimes, you know, if it's a, uh, you know, uh, like an old customer or like, um, if I'm in town or something like that, I'll pop mm-hmm. into a store and check up on things and, and say, Hey, and be like a ghost shopper. Um, but, uh, but otherwise, you know, I try to, I'm always behind a computer, whether yeah. it's for, for, for good or worse. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, no, that's that, that's interesting because um, do you feel like that gave you like a, a good understanding, I guess, from this industry from being on the ground? Because a lot of people that will come in on the tech side or hold the the CEO title that yourself have, you know, there's a lot of people that haven't worked on the ground floor. So would you attribute a kind of a lot of your understanding the full ecosystem as being on the ground at the start of the company?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, while, you know, at that time we were contemplating yeah building some software, automating things, but we, we, we needed to learn um, and we needed to meet people. We needed to hear their pain points out firsthand. Um, and so, you know, by doing that, I think it builds, a, you, you know, beyond just giving us the education and learning to build the software the right way, um, it was also just a, established a culture internally within our company that you need to roll up your sleeves, get hands on um, and learn from the ground up. And uh, a lot of our executives, when they join the company, they're really eager to actually just jump in a car Ride along with one of our drivers and just like see how the sausage is made um, mm. before they go make some like you know high level decisions and wave their wands and affect a lot of people. Um, and so you know I think it's 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 built a good culture of um, I think humility and also just like basics you know getting back to basics of what problem
0: solving is. That's that Costco model, man. Go push some carts before you have before you hop in the office, man, and understand exactly. what it's like. Exactly. Uh, um, you know, I'm. I, you, you just mentioned, you know, you're on the computer all day. I, I tell you this every time I talk to you. You're the only person I can email like at midnight and, <laughs> and you reply back within 10 minutes. Um, I, I've always been a late worker and I prefer I had this weird strategy early on when I did my outreach. I was like, I want to be the first email in the morning and I can never I'm not a morning person, so I can never win. It. I'll never get up in time. So I got to send my <laughs> stuff late. You're always responding late. What is kind of your average day? <laughs> um like day, day to day and i'm sure it changes pretty drastically
1: yeah yeah i mean i would say like the hours are probably like from 8 a.m to like i'd say on average maybe like 11 p.m 12 a.m but i'll have like you know lunch dinner uh you know go to the bathroom it's not like it's, it's not like that where i'm like just glued th- yeah. th- th- but um yeah and then throughout the day i, I you know i have a list of things I, I i just keep a simple to-do list so i just have a list of things that are like burning priorities that either I need to take care of or I need to check up on. And then um, throughout the day, I also have like meetings and like, you know, do talks and interviews and uh, like this. Um, But then in like, in in the in between, I try to save like 20 or 30 minutes in case like a meeting goes over or um, there's some like fire that needs my immediate attention um, that I'll need to prioritize. And sometimes it's not even like a fire. Sometimes it's like, admin work, like, you know, Mm -hmm. I need, I need to sign some papers to buy a vehicle even. Um, and, uh, you know, that's obviously a showstopper for the operations team if they don't have these, these, this equipment. Um, so I need to get that thing done. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I guess taking a step back, I sort of have this mental framework of like, it's called like the Eisenhower decision-making matrix, where you have like this, like four, it's like a Punnett square. It's like a quadrant of like important versus urgent. And I try to spend most of my time in like the non-urgent but highly important things. Those are like more strategic, but those require some time and some like mental headspace to like really wrap your head around those problems and like work through solutions. Um, but then a lot of my day-to-day ends up being like urgent and important things that I need to take care of. Um, Cause that's also when everyone else is working. But at night I'll revert back to like the highly important strategic things. And then I try to delegate the rest.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to look at what you call it? the Eisenhower. What was that Eisenhower decision-making matrix? All right. I'm, I'm going to have to look that up because I feel like that's common for, you know, anyone, no matter what title you're at. Right. There's that Im- yep. the important stuff. That's not urgent yep. consistently gets pushed to the bottom of the list for the urgent, the urgent thing. Totally,
1: totally. And then you're always just treading water.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can I can associate with that feeling <laughs> quite a bit of times in my life. Um, what is what has it taken on the on the brand building side? You know, to take yeah. a step back and building the brand of Navis and getting the word out there. Like, what what's kind of gone into that, and how has that progressed over the years?
1: Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, um, you know, we are always our best advocates, um, and so. Yeah, first it was just, you know, distribution, wholesaling, B2B. It's not really like the sexiest headlining, grabbing, uh, you know, stories out there. Um, But, you know, for us, we wanted to, we wanted to be a bit more, uh, I mean, I think, I think our solution was very different compared to traditional distributors out there. So it made for an interesting story. And also we were like young Asian guys in the cannabis space, especially a distribution, which is like a you know, old school supply chain sector, basically. Um, and so, you know, we, we definitely stuck out like a sore thumb. And so, you know, we, I, I would just, you know, I had some uh, connections with reporters from my previous company that I built. Um, and then, you know, by going to events and stuff, I would just like meet with other folks who are in media um, across the board. And uh, I would just, you know, do talks and like, you know, just share my story, talk about the vision of the company and where we're going. and. Some of the progress we've made, and over time, I think it's built up a, a good drumbeat for you know our business. And as more customers started to evangelize our business as well, those network effects were stronger than anything that I could I could personally um, you know push out on my end unilaterally. You know, um, and so you know at the end of the day, I think the most today at least the most scalable version of uh, marketing and building the brand is just providing the best quality of service and making our customers happy because. You know, it's better for someone else to tell you to, to 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 say that you're good than than for you to say it yourself, about yourself. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what we try to try our best to do.
0: Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, from the outside looking in, I think you guys have done a really good job at that. And I and, and I'll also say like operating in such a difficult space at the scale you guys have, it's funny. Like when, I, when we first met, like it was like, wow, these guys are doing like a difficult thing at an impressive scale. And it's just funny, you know, a couple of years later, it's like, it <laughs> pales into comparison where you're at now yeah. Uh, in terms of the scale. But I think that's, you know, again, from the outside looking in to see something. It's not like you guys are this mega behemoth of a company. But to do something at a scale that's difficult, yeah. like I think kind of speaks for itself, you know, at least totally. from my perspective.
1: Totally. Yeah. But like I said earlier, it's just getting started. This industry has got a long way to go and, um, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to continue to support it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what do you what do you guys feel like um, is kind of next? I mean, I know you're looking at, at potentially some other markets and continue to refine in California. But in your mind, what are what are some of those next steps or what, what is kind of on the agenda for this upcoming year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the couple of things you mentioned. Those are like the big ticket items. Beyond that, I think um, it's just continuing to develop like a lot of the bells and whistles of our platform, um, whether it be you know more sophisticated, promotion structures, better credit, better credit systems. So, you know, a lot more sophistication of what we're already doing. Um, cause you know, at the end of the day, as our business gets larger, we actually have more data to support what we're doing. So we always want to validate and continue to improve, um, the products that we, uh, offer to our customers. And, um, yeah, and, and, and beyond that, I think, uh, we want to be a good advocate for the industry. I think, um, you know, in the beginning we were always, um, you know, we're always just like trying to survive. And like, we had our hands full, just like making ends meet. And these days, while it's always still a struggle um, you know, I think there's a bit more headspace. I think, to help out some of the smaller operators in this industry who are just getting going. Um, and uh, I think working with the government regulatory bodies uh, within California and outside to help structure the right incentives for not just short term, but long term success um, for, for the whole supply chain, I think will be um, a big priority for us as well this year.
0: Right, man, I look forward to watching the continued growth um, and definitely rooting for you up here and, and excited to see the growth from, you know, I know I know it's coming The impending growth outside of the state, but even still to <laughs> continually, continually uh, capture more more of the market. I think you guys are solving some some big issues and, and bringing a lot of value to the space.
1: Thanks, man. Um, but yeah, no, appreciate the time. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll see you soon.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Thank you for hopping on here today, Vince. Um, for everyone out there that wants to find out more information, nabis.com, N A B I S.com. I really appreciate founder and CEO Vince joining us today. Um, until next time, we'll see you guys.